I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. Thank you to patrons including Roger Martin, Neil Horton, Jeff Skipper, Richard Bruce, KV, Roz Hanlon, Robert Wilson, Liam Daly, David Sheard, many others who are supporting us directly. You can join them and get access to our weekly sister show, Extra Message, by going to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. We've got a whole bunch of people in the live chat room as well, including Al Struthers, John Evans, Nick Gassman, Pangolin Sandwich, Richard Taylor, um, and it's great to have you with us. Ian, when was the last time we podcasted together? Was it quite a few weeks ago? No, I don't think it was that long, was it? Didn't we do one like before you... Uh it was last week, was week before last. Week before last, yeah, because I was in I was in Scotland last week. Yes, um, and how was it? It was well. I was I was helping Andy move house, and how was that? It was uh, well. It was a story littered with failings of the logistics system of. Andy crashing a car into the front of his old house um, at midnight when we were packing up um, of sofas arriving in Edinburgh and not being able to fit up the new spiral staircase. Eek. Um, You know, just a lot of disaster uh, taking place after disaster. But we moved him in. He was well. He was fine. But the time to do a podcast as as I'd planned just never manifested itself, unfortunately. So... Um, so we're back this week and looking forward to talking about a whole array of topics. But I want to start with something that I don't do very often and certainly not at the top of the show, which is to talk about something that I've been working on at Bloomberg this week. And it relates to the coronavirus that at the time of recording has claimed more than 300 lives. And I was working on covering the tech side of the epidemic and the impact to technology companies this week at work. And I decided to look into how some of these firms are responding um, specific to the contagion. And in, and particularly, I was very curious at people in the sharing economy, in the gig economy, and Airbnb in particular, because it has hundreds of listings out in Wuhan in, in China, where this virus is said to have originated. And to my surprise, certainly when I searched for places to stay in Wuhan this week. And bear in mind, I was doing this from London at my desk at Bloomberg in in Bank. There was no mention of the epidemic anywhere in the search results for properties. I was not being shown any warning or anything that may suggest, hey, you might not be able to get into China, or hey, if you do, you might potentially contract a very fatal uh, and deadly and uh, problematic illness. So I thought, well, let's see how far this goes. I tried to book one of these properties. Uh, I was even offered a discount because it was Lunar New Year. Several properties were marked as rare finds because they are usually booked. And I, part of me thought, well, NS Sherlock, um, I, that, that, that doesn't come as a huge shock. Uh, and the booking went through fine. Money left my account. I got a confirmation in my email. And I thought this was this was pretty strange. For example, if you go to the website of Hilton Hotels, uh, the listings for the, the the hotels they have in 
Wuhan in the area are, are decorated with warnings and notifications and alerts and things that bookings are on hold until at least mid-February. And in some instances, things were like, oh, only only certain floors are accessible and obviously swimming pool is out of action and all this kind of stuff. And so it just to me, it looked a little bit like Airbnb was ignoring the issue for somebody who is sitting here in the UK. And so I thought presumably anywhere else in the world. So I started writing the story. And Airbnb initially gave me a comment that it was it was sending messages to people in China, to hosts. And I managed to get hold of some of those emails that it had sent to hosts, and I, and I translated them. And they were advising that guests, um, or rather, they were advising hosts to help guests rebook their travel arrangements, or at the very least, make sure that the properties they were leasing out were being well ventilated and disinfected. But I still thought it was pretty weird that A, bookings were still being accepted by these hosts, and B, worse that I could sit here in London and book and pay for a holiday in Wuhan without even being told I might at best not be allowed in and at worst die. So after this booking went through it, I was sitting there with all this thinking, okay, there's probably a story in this, but I'm not quite sure what the angle is other than, hey, I can book a thing in Wuhan. I then got a message from the person whose Airbnb I had booked with in Chinese, naturally. So uh, we, we ended up chatting via Google Translate and I explained I was a journalist. I explained um, why I booked and, 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 and so on and so forth. And they were happy chatting. And they said that they were staying open for business, not so people in London could book and try and have a place to stay in Wuhan, but because there are so many people currently stranded in Wuhan who have been cut off from the ability to leave the city because of the lockdown due to the virus, that it was in their interests and the interests of other Airbnb hosts to stay open and accept bookings. Uh, and, and essentially, they thought they could they could help. Now, Airbnb wasn't okay. super happy. Sorry, going in, jump in. No, no, I was, I was going to say that, that, that actually does explain it quite nicely and makes perfect sense in some ways. It it does. And, and if that was the whole of the story, then I would say, well, that's that is that is quite interesting. But focusing on the European side of a global story like this, that that alone wasn't going to be a story enough for me. And I, I just couldn't get over the fact that I could go through this entire booking process, have my money taken, have all these arrangements set up. Even the following day got a reminder that said something like, you know, it's only 24 hours until uh, your trip to Wuhan. And I thought, well, it's a good job it isn't. Uh, and even in that message <laughs> again, still, and this was on Friday, still no mention of anything you know not even so much as a single line fyi and a link to the who website or something um and airbnb wasn't super happy with the story i uh, i don't think but but my reason for writing it wasn't to highlight that it was bad that properties could be booked uh, you know it's totally believable that i might have say a relative in wuhan and i was booking a place for them the problem as i saw it is that you know this is a global company with a global responsibility and that I could sit in London and browse and book without so much as a heads up. And I was looking at what some other companies have done. You know, Google had partnered with the World Health Organization to flag the latest information about the coronavirus if you search for it. Facebook has said that it's monitoring and taking down misinformation posts to help control potential panic. Well, that's a first. Well, I mean, a lot of the attention for Facebook has always been on disinformation. You know, it's been deliberate attempts yeah. to skew public uh, opinion or, or sensibilities. Misinformation is 
you know it's it's not intentional it's it's almost a byproduct of fear rather than any kind of deliberate malice and it's people saying oh i've heard this or i've heard that um and there's been some interesting sort of moral debates about whether temporary racism against chinese people is is justified and there are some people saying well i just uh, i'm afraid to go near somebody who appears to me to be of chinese origin and it's like well you could sort of understand a fragment of the thinking, but at the same time, it's like that's not really the way that we want to be living. Certainly, it's not the, the way I would like to live. So there's a lot of conversations around that, and I think that's a lot of what Facebook's trying to do. Um, and we could debate all day, as you say, as to whether those responses are sufficient or effective or, or unique or whatever. But the fact is they're doing something. And to me, I just felt Airbnb wasn't doing enough. So um, Again, you know, I was, I was telling Airbnb was very aware that I was doing this this piece, and um, shortly before the story went out, they did give me a quote, and I'm going to read it out just because we've bashed on them a little bit uh, so far. Which is, Airbnb is closely monitoring official news and guidance about the novel coronavirus outbreak in order to support our community of hosts, guests, and employees in China and around the world. We are prioritizing their safety and well-being. In accordance with guidance and recommendations from the World Health Organizations, the Chinese government and other local and health authorities, we have activated our extenuating circumstances policy to offer impacted hosts and guests the option of cancellation of the reservations without charges. As the situation evolves, we will be continuously evaluating and updating this policy in line with official guidance. So a lot of that relates to refunds, really. And I, and I felt it was a little bit vague as well, you know, prioritizing the self safety and, and well-being. I thought, well, you're a giant company preparing to go public on, you know, on the stock market in, in some form. Could you not really justify quickly putting a line like all these other websites and companies have done to say, heads up, deadly virus? Anyway, huh. this is where things get a little bit more interesting because that was all sort of towards the end of Friday. Over the weekend, I did another search for a place to stay in Wuhan from my iPad, from my app, exactly the same, still in London. And I saw something new. There was a big banner above the search results for these properties saying in bold letters, coronavirus outbreak. The World Health Organization declared a global health emergency for the coronavirus outbreak. Please review official travel advisories and take necessary precautions. Read more in the help center. Now, I'm not arrogant enough to say that my story directly led to that appearing. Well, it probably did, though, didn't it? Did anyone else write about it? No. Well, there you go, then. It almost certainly was you. But the fact of the matter is that it's good that it's been done, and I'm going to look into this and the effectiveness and how widely it is propagated, if you like, uh, around the site and the app on Monday and Tuesday. But... It's it, it, it's one of these things where it just feels like the kind of thing that a, a more experienced company or if someone who's been running something like this or had been running the business, say, when the SARS outbreak took place, you know, which is before Airbnb existed, whether this would have been done faster uh, or, or in a better or more wholesome way, if you like, than 300 people dying before it even gets a reference on the website like this. So yeah. I think that I'm glad Airbnb has done this. Um, and I think it's 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 good that, that this was the ultimate result. Um, but it was, it was just a very interesting reporting journey for me for this week and, and also allowed us to talk a little bit about a massive global news event on this podcast. 
Yes, and um, I, but I will say this: I don't necessarily think it's Airbnb's responsibility to tell people where they can and can and can't go. Uh, like you said, there are enough reasons to use Airbnb that you know that <clears throat> don't just revolve around tourism. Uh, the government obviously is has the key responsibility. Your airline, when you book with them, if you're you know if you've got a flight booked, say you booked last year, and uh, obviously this wasn't happening then. Uh, you you know that they would have a responsibility to tell you just in case you didn't know and hadn't been paying attention to the news somehow. Uh, you know, by the way, just to let you know, there's a chance you'll get a pretty bad uh, lung infection if you go to China at the moment. I mean, not that it's a big chance. Um, but you know, but for Airbnb, I mean, I don't think there's any harm in them having information on the site that explains this. I just don't think it's their primary responsibility. I mean, that's what the FCO's travel advice pages are for, uh, which people would obviously be well advised to check before they go somewhere. This is all perfectly fair. And the reality is that you could book an Airbnb and you would still have to book a flight. You would still have to clear customs. You would almost certainly never get in. and And I get that. But there is a responsibility, I think, on any company that is allowing you to spend money to potentially go to a place where you have an illness. And let's be honest, how hard is it to code a short message into a website? Not at all. Not not in the slightest. There is another unintended uh, consequence of this, potentially, in that I noticed the Americans have now said that foreign nationals who have visited China will not be allowed to go into America. Uh, so this, if you, if you, you know, had gone to China, say if your uh, trip wasn't fictional and for the purposes of the story, uh, and then you had a business uh, trip planned for America, you might be... Uh, struggling to uh, achieve that so there is yeah there are other aspects to this that might make it more of a issue and for what it's worth i think it's only fair to say as well we're recording this on the afternoon of of sunday um so by the time this goes out or by the time you listen to it all of this may have changed so do look up the latest information before planning or changing any plans i'm sure anyone would do anyway and a couple of things have kind of come up in the chat room while we've been talking about this live. Um, John says that he'd seen friends on Twitter who've been having grief for being Asian, such as people moving away from them on trains. Yes. Um, I've not seen that yet myself. Al Struthers asked an interesting question, I think, of you, Ian. Why would the airline have more of a responsibility than the accommodation and I think he's referring to making you aware of potential health risks yeah I saw this and I mean I think it's a fair point I'm not, I'm not necessarily suggesting that they do I the one thing about I, you, you will notice when you have a flight book with an airline is you will almost certainly receive status updates via text message uh, they're very they, they communicate a lot I've I, I have this problem where you know my work phone has belonged to someone else before and I get a lot of um, status updates about flights and stuff that I'm not booked on. And um, I, I just feel like with that, it's just, I don't know, maybe it's slightly easier for them to tell you. Um, I don't know. It, it, I, I guess it isn't any different, really. I, I, I think it's good that they do it. I think it's good that Airbnb, Airbnb do it. Um, but, I, you know, I just feel like with airlines, it's just, it just seems like more of the first step. Any opinions anybody has on this topic or, or any other tech angles that you've heard uh, around the virus, do let us know. Hello at UKTechShow.com. Stay safe. And if anyone is in uh, an affected area, obviously, uh, we wish you the very best. You're used to hearing the smooth, velvet sound of Nate's voice drizzled over your ears like a warm eardrum syrup. Topped off with the freshly squeezed citrus tang of an Ian Morris opinion. 
supporters of the show at patreon.com forward slash UK tech enjoy second helpings every week. So pull up a chair, find your nearest spoon, and tuck into a sumptuous extra helping with no commitment. If you have any allergies, please inform a waiter. Following Britain's departure from the EU, which, no, we're not going into today, our government has updated its website to advise on some stuff that's up for change. It included notice that free mobile roaming may now end. We've enjoyed for a couple of years, I think, Ian, the ability to travel across Europe and not have to worry about roaming fees for calls and data. Certainly, uh, those on the continent have also enjoyed the same here in Britain. But there's now a big question mark over it after the government published uh, a document on its new website. And I'm going to read it out in full in the name of transparency. It says this. From the 1st of January 2021, the guarantee of free mobile roaming throughout the EU, Iceland, Liechtenstein and Norway will end. Check with your phone operator to find out about any roaming charges you might get from the 1st of January 2021. A new law means you're protected from getting mobile data charges above £45 without you knowing. Once you reach £45, you'll need to opt in to spend more so that you can continue using the internet while you're abroad. Your phone operator will tell you how you can do this. Now, we'll include a link to that statement and other notifications the government has published uh, to its website this week at uktechshow.com. Now, what's important to remember here is that whether or not the likes of Vodafone 3, O2 and EE want to protect you, their customers, from bill shock, it's not entirely up to them. They may very well want to not suffer the bad PR of having to rescind these roaming promotions they've got, but there may come a point where they, they have no choice because... Mobile operators in Europe can charge them for what you're doing on their networks. And a lot of the time, that cost is being passed on to you. That's how it worked. Um, the law didn't stop people being billed. It stopped the networks billing each other in large part. So the mobile operators may at some point pass that cost back onto you. And if you remember, Ian, it used to cost, I think, I certainly remember at one point when I was on O2 a few years ago, it cost £3 per megabyte to use data in Germany. And it was six pounds a megabyte to use that in, in the US, which I appreciate is outside of the jurisdiction of the European Union. Well, but, yeah, you know, but 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 that's that's where we were. That's where we were heading. And so there are possible outcomes. One, and certainly I hope this is what happens, is that the networks will just agree to carry on as they are now in exchange for our networks in Britain charging their customers no more when they're roaming over here. But I'm, I'm just not confident that that will necessarily take place since it took Europe-wide legislation to be enacted over several years gradually to force them to change in the first place. And we have no widespread independent deals with non-European countries' networks, hence still being charged an arm and a leg for using data out of bundles, say, in the US or in Canada. I mean, do you think, is that a fair assumption? Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, I'm so confused by the whole thing because... 
as you said, the the, the rule is clear. Uh, the EU prohibits these operators from charging each other across boundaries. Uh, the fact is that we already have that in place. It wouldn't be very difficult for the UK to say, well, we'd like to carry on with it. Uh, would you be okay with that, European operators? And the European operators will think, well, a lot of our customers go to the, to the UK, so it would be nice if we didn't have to pay them for that access. Um, and presumably we could charge what we wanted because we're not in the EU anymore. So it could be prohibitively expensive. I mean, that isn't in anyone's interest. So my gut tells me that they will hang on to this uh, free data across Europe for as long as possible. I think you're you're right. And, and the chat room is asking a couple of interesting questions while we're talking. Al asked if, or rather he said that he saw a few networks have come out saying they won't reintroduce them anyway, which as he points out, is indeed cool and hopefully that will stay the same but that doesn't get around the problem that they can't guarantee networks overseas will will stop charging them and or rather won't restart charging them and, and force the local networks hands but hopefully it won't come to that and nick asks an interesting question of isn't it going to be tied up in any given trade agreement well i was going to say this because obviously we actually don't know yet what the trade agreement will be with the eu and um this was part of the you know the 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 whole thing has changed so much over the last three years it Mm. makes it very difficult to keep track of i mean part of part of the idea was that we would have a relatively soft brexit and that we would hang on to both we would we would keep parity with the eu now the government has recently said that that is not actually going to happen at all and that british companies will not be required um, to maintain European standards. Now, of course, again, we all know that any company in this country will be very, very keen to keep hold of their EU uh, sales, and therefore they are going to uh, stick to the EU rules for pretty much everything. Uh, I can't think of examples where that wouldn't happen. Um, but again, you know, we, we thought we might come out in a much more soft way. At the moment, it looks like we're going to come out in the hardest way imaginable. Um, well, that, I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't say that is necessarily true in that we, you know, a deal was agreed. Obviously, the deal has to be implemented, but it, it there are there are positive signs in there that, that it couldn't be terrible from a tech perspective. For example, data protection and data sharing cross border is yeah. certainly one of the most important things. I'd argue more important than roaming charges because it, it, it will affect companies on a much more fundamental level, which is how do you guarantee that companies that rely on data and personal information being transferred in and out of the EU, how that has to be guaranteed that it can continue unrestricted. Otherwise, businesses that rely on that are going to have a massive enormous problem and that's only going to happen it's only going to be agreed if europe agrees that the uk has implemented the minimum required sort of safety precautions on data protection so we c- if as long as we get our data protection in order in a way that the eu likes then the the flow of data can continue and then and then it may not be that hard a brexit related to data and sure uh, and things as, as it could otherwise be but as you say we still don't know a great deal of this yet and the reason that we're talking about it today isn't because we want to add fear uncertainty and doubt into the brexit equation that's not why we're here and it's not why we're talking about brexit itself what's happened has happened and we and you know we're not a political podcast really the the reason to talk about it is because the government added a big fat paragraph of text on their website saying hey heads up 
this is how this is what we're thinking could happen and here's how much it's going to cost you uh, under a new proposed law so that's the thing to be aware of i think we've got i hate the term time will tell i think if you <laughs> end a if you end a story on time will tell or we'll have to wait and see then you've fundamentally failed at storytelling but there's not much else that we can do here at this point because there is so much um that we don't know not but, really uh, and 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 if you look at the rest of the world you know you you will not get included data in most countries so it you could argue that that's the way it would go it could be good news for public wi-fi companies you know companies like well, the cloud and you, these universal sim providers will sell you a sim with data you can use worldwide and th- this is true and and also we are v- we're much less reliant on calls and texts than we ever were before i mean i remember you know some of my trips to europe in the bad old days before this law came in in the first place uh, and the us would, would uh, i would have r- racked up charges on text messages of course whatsapp makes that completely unnecessary and wi-fi publicly is generally pretty good in most places now i mean you might spend time outside of a wi-fi network occasionally but it's never been easier to find public wi-fi um so i guess it might not be a huge problem but Again, it's just it's just sad. You'd you'd hope it'd go the other way, and it's not just about the EU. It's a a global thing. You know, there there should be a better uh, arrangement with all these providers, uh, whereby you can roam for a much more affordable cost. It's it's just a shakedown, isn't it? And it's sad. Mm. And so I remember I was I was I was asked a question a couple of years ago. Someone said, "Well, why why do if I'm on say Vodafone and I roam onto Vodafone Germany?" Why am I incurring charges? And the the sad fact is, is that they're they're run as separate businesses. Yeah, you know? of course. So they they still have to bill each other. Ultimately, these service providers are they're, they're going to want to make money, and this is another way for them to do that. So you could be skeptical about it and go, actually, it's not in the UK network's interest to allow us to use our phones in Europe without charging us for it. So they'll bring it back in. I I I don't know. I think, like you said. No one will want to be the first, but when one does it, there's a very big chance that all or most will do the same. You might get someone like three who will say, we're not going to do it. Because they were, they had European roaming uh, for free before the EU rules came in anyway, didn't they? Because by, they did some deals and they also happened to own a few other networks across Europe, uh, which worked out quite well for them. But then, like you said, three, you know, O2, three has a- Vodafone... Three has a, um, a part of some of its plans where the US is included oh, yeah. In, yeah. in roaming, which is good. It's one of the best things about three is that mm. US roaming thing because it's great. You're often throttled quite a lot, uh, but it's still workable for things like email and stuff like that. I've, I've used it um, and been frustrated by it at, at the same time as thinking, actually, this is not bad for a free service. It's worth reminding people, I think, that the rest- the, the, the proposed rule change that we we were talking about on the government's website it does only apply or does only state that it applies to mobile data charges it's not even to do with calls and texts it is only specifically relating to to data it says protected from getting mobile data charges above 45 pounds without you knowing relating to the new law and once you reach 45 pounds you need to opt in to spend more than that so you can continue using the internet while you're abroad yeah, it might just be someone didn't understand what they were writing, frankly. I don't know. I mean, mm, I can disagree really? with a lot. But yeah, I kind of find that a lot of the the way that the, the government writes stuff on its website, I find it to be pretty pretty clear. But who knows? Sure. Who knows, Ian? That's the question. <sighs> yeah, well. 
Exactly. If you are in the UK or in the European Union and would like to talk to us about this, we do not discriminate against whatever territory you're based in. And you won't be charged extra for sending an email from Europe. Certainly not. You can do so. Hello at UKTechShow.com. The BBC reported this week that BT will charge new customers up to £50 if they do not send their router back at the end of their contract. This is in an effort to reduce waste. Since December, BT's contracts have stated that the company retains ownership of the Wi-Fi routers and TV set-top boxes that it sends to customers, the BBC wrote. The company also told the Financial Times that it would quote-unquote refurbish the returned equipment so that it could be reused. Virgin Media already operates a similar policy. Now, BT told the BBC that the change would eventually apply to its EE and Plusnet subsidiaries as well, and it will charge customers between about 43 and 50 quid if they want to keep the router, depending on the model. Uh, you can also get a uh, the UView TV set-top box from BT, and that will cost between about 60 and 115 pounds, depending on the model. Um, and it's not reduced its monthly subscription charges as a result of the change, but did say... Uh, that customers wouldn't be charged up front for the router or TV box. So this is only if you are at the end of a contract and it is if you don't send it back. You know, you're contributing potentially to waste there. So BT states. Uh, the BBC also wrote that customers will be sent a sent a padded envelope to return their router to BT and also will be able to drop off equipment at their stores on the high street. So I think this is tied in quite broadly to a number of topics that we've discussed on the podcast over recent months, which is the idea of how much responsibility do these companies have on keeping landfill as small as possible? Well, I would say they have some, but I don't think this is anything to do with keeping stuff out of landfill. Is that unpleasantly sceptical of me, do you think? No. I mean, all of these things will have an element of PR value. Well, I feel like it's them trying to make some money, if you will. Uh, well, here you go. So Richard Taylor in the chat room says, I've always gotten rid of uh, any BT routers in favour of a Netgear or Firebox, which is is good, right? He yeah. says on the plus side, it's better than just throwing them in the recycling bin. Okay, so, so here's the, the problem, right? Um, my understanding is, from the BBC News story says that uh, BT routers only work on BT. Um, which, yes. Th- yeah. So, so anyone leaving BT will have absolutely no reason to keep that router. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, so that you know, from that perspective, yes, they should probably want to return it. They're not. They they are going to get no value out of it if they return. Can you not it flash BT, the firmware? I, I mean, you might be able to, but no one is ever going to do that. I mean, do you remember B the days of B? I do. Yeah. B, yeah, B Unlimited. So, yeah, so you could uh, you could do some awesome things with B, like you know, you could tweak your firmware and you could adjust the noise floor. Uh, you know allowances so you could get much faster broadband if your line was quite clean uh, so that was great but those days are long gone and, and bt says in the uh, in its statement to the bbc the reason it locks its uh, routers to uh, its own network is that so that it can he- better administer them and provide security updates now i personally think that's nonsense there is absolutely nothing to stop them from being unlocked from other networks and you, you still being able to flash them it's just a nonsense they're connected directly to your network it's horse uh, manure is what it is. Um, so, th- th- so first of all, first thing is those routers have no value. 
They're, they're not actually stopping anyone from... If you paid that fee, you'd probably still end up chucking it away because it's not going to be any good to you. So what you're going to do is you're going to pay BT maybe 60 or 50 quid, whatever, and then you're going to go, actually, I can't use this anyway. My new ISP has sent me a new piece of hardware. It's useless to me. I think well, most people will probably return them, but what you've got to remember is that people are lazy. I've done this myself in not this quite way. Uh, but they won't return them because they'll be like, oh, it's a hassle. I can't be bothered. And they'll just pay the money because it's easier, which is stupid, but we all do it. I think you might be surprised how many people won't want to pay £50 no, to, I mean, that's, to keep that's fine. the router. But my point is that this isn't actually really going... I don't think it's going to solve a huge problem. I mean, sure, if BT are going to refurbish them and then reuse them, fine. But also you've got to remember that these routers go out of use quite quickly. Uh, if you were to... I, I would say within the standard contract period of BT, you, they would release a new kind of router. And if you're a new subscriber to BT, you're not going to want and they are not going to send you an old router. So what happens to them? They might strip them down properly. They might recycle them properly. Great. No, I'm sure that's not dissimilar to what you would do if you took it to a proper recycling facility or, you know, wherever. So I, I, from the landfill point of view, I'm not really buying it, frankly. Uh, I think um, also I think there's a, it's a slight confusion in that um, should they not perhaps charge you for the hardware up front rather than charge you at the end? So I think that's, and then, that, and then that maybe would, be, that re- would... Refer, you know, re- refund that money to you at the end if you decided you wanted to return it. I think that would probably prevent a few people signing up. Ah, well, there you go then. So it's not actually got anything to do with what they say it's to do with. It's probably a little bit about the fact that they do spend money building these things. They probably, I mean, I, I'm sure they don't cost a huge amount of money. They're probably $10 products, if that. Um, so they're probably losing a little bit of money on them. Uh, as you said, they're not, they don't factor it into the rental, uh, which is different to Virgin, because when you go to Virgin, you know that you don't own the equipment. It's made. I, well, I, I say it's made quite clear to you. I, I don't know if it actually is, but it it is a rental. Uh, it isn't. You don't own the hardware. Again, it is completely useless to you once you've finished with your Virgin service anyway. So there's no reason not to return it. But again, you know, sometimes you might just not be bothered. Whatever. Um, so I, I think that there needs to be a, a, a radical change in messaging. I'm sure they will do this. They probably need to have something on the website saying, just a note, if you don't return this at the end of your contract period and you don't carry on with this, you will be charged. I'm sure that will happen. Uh, but like you say, it, it would be more honest to charge people at the, at, the, at the front of their contract and then to refund that money uh, at the end. A deposit, I'm gonna, I think we're will. in a very good position to do something um, with our audience that we don't ordinarily do. We normally invite you to write in if you have an opinion we don't often ask you to write in and tell us an opinion but i am i think this is an exception i would i would love to get some emails from as many people as possible no matter where you're based and particularly if you're not based in the uk it's probably very relevant what do you do with your old routers you know what what do you do with them i mean you hello at uktechshow.com or send them to us on twitter at text message pod you know what have you historically done have you changed what is the standard like do you know what your company offers do you have any knowledge of what kind of level of ownership you have over this hardware uh, i have to say i've certainly got two or three old routers stashed in boxes or or just thrown away yeah certainly i i've got that and that's not because i don't care about the environment it's just you're right i've never really known what to do with those things so i just keep them probably need to get to a point and it may take legislation to get here where routers you know the fundamental piece of technology that is that connects the line that comes into your house whatever line that is to a box that spreads it around your house 
needs to be as flexible as mobile phones are now. You know, we have some very good laws, very liberal laws now about the rules on phone locking, on unlocking, on what you do with the hardware after a contract period has expired. And I think it'll probably follow suit that routers now are so important to people. People are thinking more about mesh networks and network strength in different rooms and all this kind of stuff and how many devices can they can they have running at once that that people are starting to care about the hardware the interfaces are getting better when you log in to try and fix them the setup process has got easier with the you know like the the one push button was it wps button or something to do like one click setup for devices yeah. like it's it's getting there but we probably need to go even further and certainly interoperability between network providers to me at least now feels like a no-brainer like to have it locked to a network is just that that is going to contribute more to waste than than anything else let's move into some feedback we had a, a quite a good response ian to your conversation well and mine about the headphones we had loads of people writing in i picked i picked a a quote from Raphael, who says hi guys it happens that i own and use bowers and wilkins headphones for nearly 10 years now and what i really like about them is they last forever nearly every part can be replaced i recently replaced my p5s for a similar model because i wanted the noise cancellation and i'm very happy with it um that's a good point when you buy a nice high-end pair of headphones um you can usually get them replaced and fixed pretty quickly. Well, that uh, is and the thing. A... <laughs> apart from yeah. my apart from my one example of BMW headphones, which is, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, no, but it, it's it's it is a probably more down to the fact that I haven't necessarily treated them in the way they should have been treated. I've folded them up and put them in my bag and carried them around with other stuff, and it's broken the uh, you know the, the little arm that connects the headphone to the band. So really, there's not that's not BMW's fault. Uh, perhaps there's a slight weakness in the design. Well, we had another message from Charlotte who. Um, one of our patrons who says uh, i have a question i have a friend who used to buy bose noise cancelling sleep buds which helped her with her tinnitus but they're being discontinued do you guys know of any good alternatives um so this is a question i would put out to the wider community for anyone using headphones or things to earphones to sleep in that can help with tinnitus do please write in and let us know hello at uktechshow.com we'll read out and or pass on the advice to Charlotte uh, to dispense to her friend. The only example I have off the top of my head is that I really have been very, very impressed with the noise cancelling of Apple's AirPod Pros. Yeah. Um, you know, I, we did a, we did an extra message about them, and I've I know I've hated on the basic AirPods for very, very good reason. Um, but the AirPod Pros, um, the noise cancelling is really very, very good. Very, very good. Um, so... Sorry, I was just going to pick. Uh, I, I the problem is they're very expensive, aren't they? They are expensive, but we're talking about someone wanting to replace some Bose noise cancelling headphones, and Bose headphones tend not to be particularly cheap. So, well, no, um, that's true. And the Sony ones, how much of a Sony ones? Do you know? I don't know off the top uh, of my head. I think I don't, they're, I don't they're probably know. a similar price. Uh, Nick in the chat asks if uh, Tinnitus is internal, how do headphones help? That's a good question, Nick. And I have uh, spent some time thinking about this because I suffer also with uh, Tinnitus. Uh, it's, um, it, it's the same with hearing aids. When you have hearing aids in, it defeats the Tinnitus. It's No one really knows what Tinnitus is. 
I've read once that it was your brain filling in the gap. So as you get older and you lose a bit of your hearing, because everyone does in something, apparently, it, it might be your brain filling in that gap that it can no longer hear any sound in with something else. Um, but apparently, I mean, you'll notice it if you have tinnitus. If you if you're in a room that's v- vaguely noisy, you can't hear it. I can't hear it now because I've. Well, actually, that's not true. I can because I'm thinking about it. Um, but y- if you have sound coming in, it, it can help. And obviously, everyone hears it differently as well. It's it's a very unpleasant. I don't want to call it an illness condition. Perhaps um, it can drive some people mad. Literally mad. It's that bad, and it stops people from sleeping, and is horrible. I I get it on and off, but mine isn't permanent like a lot of people have it although now we're talking about it i can hear it very very clearly yeah it's um, that's the problem with it as soon as you start thinking about it it's it's much more obvious that's why i think it's never bothered me i just i just sort of i've got used to ignoring it and it is a, it is frustrating um and it, it makes you think your hearing's not great but that's it's not really related to that it it you know you can still hear okay with it it's just it's it's just this constant sort of noise that fills in gaps when there's nothing else going on um but by the way i a couple of years uh, what was it last year yeah last year when i was at ces i spoke to cochlear who are the people who make the implants so that bypasses the hairs that do the sound pickup in your ear uh, and feeds the sound directly into your brain somehow i don't know it's very, very confusing they they said a couple of interesting things first of all they said uh, probably only about five percent of people who could benefit from a cochlear implant have one um so because they're quite expensive obviously and it is a mild surgical procedure it's not particularly bad i don't think it takes about 90 minutes they told me if anybody has some suggestions for this um charlotte was asking specifically about replacements for bose noise cancelling buds to sleep in uh, to help with tinnitus but i'm sure any good suggestions of ways that people deal with uh, tinnitus using technology uh, and headphones specifically would be very welcome. So do let us know your um, your stories uh, and suggestions if you have them. Hello at UKTechShow.com. Um, we didn't have a promo from Tom this week for Daily Tech News Show, partly probably because um, we haven't done a show for a week and maybe he thought, he didn't need to send one. But if you do want to listen to some wider technology news, then obviously dailytechnewsshow.com is the place to go. And thank you to our patrons for supporting us and getting our ad-free versions, our live show and everything else. So thank you to you all. Ian, it's been a pleasure. It has, hasn't it? It's been an enjoyable way to spend an hour and 20 minutes. It has, yes. Well, it depends which version of the show... <laughs> you're listening to well but certainly little patreon uh, bumper there you know have a listen ha- have a subscribe yeah. well in the patreon version this week we talked extensively about USB-C and the alternatives to USB-C and the standards that Europe is trying to force potentially on Apple and, and various other things so uh, yeah there's a lot more in the patreon version of the show if uh, if you'd like to check that out um, that's it patreon.com forward slash UK tech cheerio everybody even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.